This is Hard Parking, brought to you by Right Honda and Right Toyota out of Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm your host, Jay Finney. Coming up in a little bit, a few moments, Mike Keys. I know I've been talking about him for the past few episodes, but finally it is here. 22-year-old gentleman flies jets, flies private jets. That's how he makes his bread. Meets some celebrities, stays professional, and he just has a drive that not a lot of people have, whether they're his age or old like me, you know, especially in this current era. That conversation and every conversation is brought to you by Cell Shop, an Arizona-based retailer that strives to be your destination of choice for wireless services, whether Arizona or Washington State. They're an authorized AT&T detailer, so visit them at cellshop.us and get connected today. The other day I get a call from my mother. It's kind of funny. She's like, hey, I'm going through, you know, dad stuff. Uh, my dad passed October of 2020. She's going through her stuff. She goes, hey, I found these magazines, some of these Sports Illustrateds. Do you want them? I go, I don't know. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, all the Sports Illustrateds I've ever collected, I I still have here somewhere collecting dust. Typically the ones with like Michael Jordan on the cover. You know, my age, I'm 46. That's what we did. We collected magazines, magazine covers. Anyway, I'm sitting there wondering, like, what are these? And she's like, I don't know. There's some sort of special edition Sports Illustrateds. Got some ladies with swimsuits. I go, is this the swimsuit edition? She goes, yeah, actually, that's what it is. It's the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. I'm like, uh, no thanks. And then she goes, okay. Well, you wouldn't be happy. You wouldn't happen to be, she said jokingly, but I think she was kind of serious. You wouldn't happen to be interested in any old Playboys, would you? <sighs> no, mom. <laughs> Good on the old Playboys. But I did say, what year are they? It's like 1960s. So I feel like there's a market for them, but they have to be a certain age. But it, it would be curious to see because I told my mom, I go, you know, you never know because there's probably stuff in those magazines that we see on Fox today. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Media and outlet, everything's changed so much. I think in an upcoming episode, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about how things are just so much different. You know, I grew up in the era where we had car posters on the wall, and now no one collects car posters anymore. They just, you don't need the car poster. You have a poster, you just download it, wallpaper on your computer, or download it on your phone. Go to YouTube, you can see every single car you've ever wanted to see. It's no more the thrill of the hunt. Anyway, after this word from Four Wheel Online, Mr. Mike Keys. Jay Finning here, and I want to tell you guys about Four Wheel Online. For over a decade, 4Wheel Online has been bringing the best truck accessories and truck parts to enhance the appearance and performance of all trucks and SUVs. They are dedicated to providing an extensive range of upgrades that will match any maker model on the road. Their truck products cover everything you need to give your truck a custom look and added functionality. And if you need a tire and wheel package, head over and use the configuration tool. They carry all the major brands of wheels and tires, so we'll get outfitted today. So visit them online at 4Wheel Online or call them at 813-769-2451. Again, that's four wheel online, the number four wheel online. Sitting in front of me, supermodel by night, pilot by day, like a private pilot. We're going to find out what that really means. Mr. Mike Keys. That is the best introduction I think anybody's ever given me. <laughs> wow. Dude, no, because I mean, you go on your Instagram and it's like, all right, what are you freaking you know, getting paid by Polo or one of these other people or, you know, tell us. So that's new, getting paid for posts. That, uh, as much crap as people give me for taking these kind of pictures or always, you know, taking pictures on the airplane, this is the first time I actually kind of saw 
what I wanted come to fruition because I'm like, you know, if I'm going to put all this time and effort into Instagram, it'd be great if I got some free stuff and some money out of it. So yeah. it's kind of a, you know, give and take with that. But so far, so good. The aviation stuff's helped quite a bit. Sure. I mean, it's, I mean, it, it looked good doing it, you know? Thank you. So, I mean, your, your friends are going to poke fun at you, but that's, friends are always going to poke fun at you for yeah. anything, always. But I mean, from somebody who doesn't really know you, and I would imagine a hundred percent of the people watching are like, who is this guy? This is cool. And that's, you know, why you can get paid for that stuff. So that's pretty awesome. Oh, thank you. It's, uh, it's weird to be the one posting stuff all the time. Cause I remember like on anything, you know, even like your account, just like, oh, these guys have cool cars are doing this, that, and the other end to be able to actually kind of share what I'm doing, I think is like, it's really rewarding. You know, people are reaching out and, you know, giving advice wherever I can, trying to to guide people the right direction. It's uh, It's been pretty cool, especially, you know, I still think of myself, I'm just, I'm a 22-year-old idiot. But the fact that people- 22? Are, yeah, 22. No kidding, yeah. Um, that's been pretty cool too. Just, um, you know, I think to myself all the time, like, I don't know why they're bothering, you know, asking me or there's so many better sources out there. But, uh, um, you know, whenever I can, it's it's cool to to help out a little bit. We have a cool, unique, exotic look to you. You're you're tall. You're you're thin. You fucking fly planes. Like, how did you get into that? Like, tell me about the planes because those are like little private. I mean, I've never been in a small plane. So yeah. So um, growing up, my dad worked for BMW um, in finance, but every year they'd send him on a uh, like a year trip to Europe. So like every year, sorry, annual trip to Europe for like a couple weeks, mm. and he got to bring his whole family along. So that kind of got me accustomed to traveling, getting on airplanes, and I fell in love right away. And I'm um, not sure if you ever saw Entourage. You know, I, I, I'm i familiar with the show. I'm not too embarrassed that I, I never watched it. It was HBO, right? Yeah. So back then, I didn't even have HBO. Okay. I mean, I could probably watch all the episodes now, but there's like a million shows. I'm assuming it's on like HBO Max. But I think so, too. It's So I saw like, love it. Vinny Chase. Yeah, he was like the guy, right? And just watching him go to like Van Nuys and then roll up to like this private jet and blast off anywhere in the world, I was like, that's it. Yeah. That's it. I was sold from then on out. And it was like just a push from then on just to dedicate whatever time and money and opportunities I had to try to make something like that happen from then on. So is he up of, of the main, is he the main crew? There's like like five of them or whatever. Yeah. Four or five yeah. Of them? Five. Four yeah, or five. He's, is he like a pilot? That's what he does in the no, show. No, no. He's just a, so the show is like, um, the friends, right? Based on Mark Wahlberg or something. Yeah. That's what they said. He yeah. produced, I think executive produced it too. But um, essentially, it was just a kid from the streets of like Brooklyn that really good looking dude, really talented, and he became a movie star and he took his three closest friends along the ride with him. And, and then his entourage. agent, uh, yeah, his agent, yeah. like Ari, um, he's kind of like the fifth, but it was, um, you got to watch it. It's a good yeah, one. Yeah, I, I mean, I know it's, everyone says it's great. I've never heard anyone say anything bad about that show ever. It's starting to age kind of poorly. Just because they're, you know, the kind of out-of-pocket jokes that were okay, like mid-2000s. That's like the only thing that, looking back on it, but I, you know, taking it for what it was back sure. then, it was, it was pretty cool. It's cringy, right? I mean, there's some of those old shows, you watch them and you're right. It's like, oh, you couldn't, you can't say that today. No. Like, you know, that's, you know, everyone kind of laughed then, but you just can't say that today, you know? So it's, it's, uh, I don't have a strong opinion on that. Just things change, you know? You know, the world evolves one way or the other, whether we like it or not. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so Entourage. And so tell us a little about, I mean, you have to, don't you have to fly for like how many hours before you can do what you do? So. I mean, you're 22. What yeah. The hell? Yeah. I started flying an actual private jet when I was 21. So pretty recent. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm in it now like a year and some change. But essentially we're corporate and 
commercial differ is corporate is a lot more of um I'd is say that networking is yeah. Which, which corporate, one are you? Corporate, corporate okay. aviation, yeah. So that's like private jets and um, small to you know larger jets like that seat like twenty max. Oh right, obviously, yeah. I'm sorry. Commercial is like a like a, a Airbus three twenty or something. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like uh, it's just a completely different right. like style of travel. And the big thing for you know these folks is okay. I'm gonna get on this airplane. Like I don't want to lift a finger. Like as they shouldn't. Like they're paying an exuberant amount of right. you know money to to be able to do this. So. The time they get on, they're treated like kings or queens. You got to be really social. Got to be able to talk to all of them. And you know, I'm I'm meeting people that I watched in movies. You know, and it, cool. it's like you know, heartbeats really fast. And then you just kind of take a deep breath and you be know cool, continue. Cool. Yeah, um, and they kind of react to it. They're a lot more receptive if you're not freaking out and if you're just kind of a professional. You'll end up having like a pretty cool relationship with them. Um, but essentially, how I got into it. You know, I did like the typical, I went to like a mom and pop flight school out in Scottsdale, got through all my ratings. So there's private, instrument, commercial, commercial multi-engine, and that's pretty much like the um, the foundation. When, to, how old were you when you did that? I started when I was 18, Okay, so right when I went to ASU. Yep. Um, it took me, some people, it takes a couple of years. It took me, th- yeah, it took a couple of years, but some people <laughs> even faster. Right. Um, it's really self-paced. So, you know, if you have the money, it's so expensive. It's, sure. it's unbelievable. But if you have the money to, you know, dump everything in and just be there nonstop, you know, you're on your, you're on your own schedule. So it's completely self-paced, which is pretty cool. But, um, you essentially get out of school with like 250 hours. And as a professional pilot, the only thing that like makes or breaks you or what people care about first thing people ask is how many hours do you have? It's like, um, Resumes are important, like in mm-hmm. like the professional sense, but in aviation, it's like, okay, how many hours do you have in this? How many hours do you have in that? What's your total time? Like, that's really all people care about because it, without putting any fluff on anything, it's just bare bones. This is where I'm at in my experience. So, everybody that's um, going through flight school is probably going to get out like 250 hours. And now there's two routes that you can go down. There's either flight instructing, which for a great, great, great majority of people is the avenue they choose for a couple reasons large schools that partner with airlines, they kind of promote it. So, you know, you get out 250 hours, you're unhirable. Nobody's going to touch you that low time. Nobody. Right. Like it's, it's not you, like it's a lot of hours, but the reality is it's, it's nothing. Yeah. And it's not even like, Oh, maybe one guy got a great, it's like nobody like insurance won't even touch you. The way around that is you start to flight instruct. So you go from the left seat of a Cessna to a right and just start teaching those same people that you were just learning from. And it's pretty cool because it's full circle, but it's exhausting. You know, I mean, you're, you're kind of going through the same mundane tasks and teaching over and over again. And it's unbelievably dangerous because you're going in these like practice areas, like over in um, like Santan Valley and just like Southwest of Arizona. Mm-hmm. And you got planes on top of planes on top of planes, just doing like steep turns and stalls. And like people are, the near misses are, are, are constant. It's, Jeez. it's the war zone out there. But for a lot of people, it's, it's the best avenue because you go from being untouchable, but for this kind of job, you can actually loosely make a living. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 bucks an hour. And you're also paying, some of these people are paying off massive mm-hmm. student debt. So sure. it's enough to kind of scrape by. The other avenue and the one that I did, um, I think if you have the funds, do it. Uh, I kind of rolled the dice. So I should backtrack a little bit. To be a CFI, you actually have to go through additional schooling and additional money. What does CFI stand for? Certified Flight Instructor. Okay. 
So to be that teacher, you then have to go back to school after you just finished everything and essentially learn how to teach. And there's written exams, there's your your check ride, and it's it's nerve wracking because you have to essentially start from scratch again. What I did, I was like, I was never certified as a flight instructor. I mm-hmm. never never did it. I think this is kind of how AJ kind of introduced me as well. What I used to do is buy and sell and flip um, sports cars, and made a decent enough nest egg on top of working full time and all that good stuff where I sold my dream car, got it in cash and then put all the money to go time build. And what I, what was that? I had a 2013 M3. Mm, nice. Yeah, it was, that was it for me, man. That was something <laughs> I always wanted, you know, unreliable as it is, but it was, it was my baby and sure. I, I loved it. It was, you know, the carbon roof manual, Carbon hood. I, it, the guy went crazy on it. It was it was awesome. So it broke my heart, but I sold it essentially to roll the dice, like balls to the wall. You know, I'm going to build to 500 hours because that's the bare minimum that you can get hired on, like bare bare minimum. And I had a lot of people that I trust and get advice from say, "You're crazy. Like this is a huge waste of money. You don't know if you're going to get hired, and then what happens when you're out of money? Because at that point, I'd be out. I'd have to go find a job doing." Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. So rolled the dice and um, I was doing all my time building at a Chandler airport. So there was a really cheap like little Cessna and how it works is it's uh, $100 wet like in hours. And that's like an aviation. That's nothing. That's half of what a flight school would cost. And wet essentially means like the fuel you put in it is an additional cost. So that 100 bucks is what I pay an hour. And what I would do is seven to nine hour days in a Cessna with no AC, getting tossed around, flying all around like Southern Arizona. I would, what I would do is I'd leave from Chandler to Yuma, Yuma to Gila Bend, Gila Bend to Havasu, Havasu to Gila Bend, Gila Bend to Tucson, Tucson to Gila Bend, Gila Bend back to uh, Chandler. And you do that enough. And if you pull the power back and you go real slow, it's like nine hours. <laughs> and after that, <laughs> so man, you're crawling you were, in the sky. Yeah, but you're like, you know, you're dizzy after it because it is an insane amount of time and there's no autopilot in that thing and it's not very fun to fly. It's just, it's brutal, but you're, you're grinding. Those are the little, what, five passenger? How many people fit in a Cessna? So there's four seats. Those are tiny, right? Yeah, there's four seats, but it it won't seat four. Right. It's just like, it's like a sports car with four seats. Yeah, yeah, me, no, (laughs) and not even like that. Me and you would be (laughs) at our max gross weight. Oh my God. So if we put another human person back there, we'd be overweight. Yeah. It's just a useless, like they're essentially to hold bags. Those Mm -hmm. seats are are useless. So all along, there was this one charter company out of Chandler. I'd always see they had um, what's called a Baron 58. And that's just a twin engine. So twin piston engine propeller airplane. It was fast. It's one of the faster ones that, uh, that exists. And we'd essentially follow this guy's route because we chose the route we did because Gila Bend was, I keep saying, go back there. It's a, um, it's a good hub for cheap fuel. And it was like untowered and you can kind of do what you want. It's a nice like breather if you have to stop because it's everywhere else. Good for photo else, shoots too. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like desolate, middle of nowhere. Yep. And they have the, um, I forgot what it's called, that quarter or that half mile race down yeah, there too. Yeah, that's where they do the uh, no fly zone. Yeah. Yep, no fly zone. Yep. Yeah. So... It was a great little hub for us, but essentially what we do inadvertently is follow this professional pilot doing his job. So what he would do is he'd go from Chandler to Yuma, sit all day, then bring his people back, Chandler to Havasus and sit all day. He didn't go to um, Tucson, but essentially what we did is follow this guy around and 
you know, I saw him in one of the cafes in Gila Bend. And I'm like, hey, um, told him who I was, what I was about. And said, like, you know, I want to work for you guys. I'm, I'm right here. He told me uh, the owner's name of the company and just said, just stop in sometime. He, uh, he might be around. Sure enough, um, first time I went in there, I had like 300 hours just starting this journey. And he kind of like, it, I've, I've come across this a lot, like whether it be in motorsport or aviation, like people will kind of laugh at you and tell you to go pound sand. <laughs> but what people like is just consistency, mm -hmm. keep coming back. Yep. And so what I always tell people that are, you know, low time or don't have a lot of money to get into stuff is like, just be a cockroach. People like it. If you, if you go to see this boss, he goes like, Hey, keep building your time or, you know, come back when you have five, he didn't even want me 500 hours, but keep shooing me away. Keep shooing me away. If I keep coming back with a good attitude in a weird way, it makes people kind of like you a little bit. Right. Yeah. You're like so annoying. You're likable. And, um, I found good success with that in racing. So I figured it's got to work. It's might as well translate. So I, I gave it a go and it ended up being, we used to, we, he had a count, um, so keep in mind, this is like 250 hours of my life going to Chandler Airport. Like I wasn't work. like all of my money was in this. So I was flying with another guy every single day. We we're splitting the money, um, just splitting the, the cost of the rental. And I think I ended up going 30, 35 times in his office, kicks me out, kicks me out, kicks me out. Like he knows me. And now like even like there's, there's days where I didn't see him, I'd call him because I had like, um, wasn't as personal, but it was like a direct line through his sure. business. He'd hear my voice, like kind of sigh and say, just, you know, I'm not in the office today. I like essentially go away. Yeah. <laughs> so like I'm, I'm bothering this guy and it's like, man, I'm either uh, totally burning a bridge with this dude or it's going to work. So now I'm like 490 hours. So I'm like almost totally out of money. Like I'm, I'm like tapped. Um, I go in, talk to him, same deal. Like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm still just as committed as when we first met. I want to work for you. And um, tosses me, you know, like, hey, just keep building your time. You're still you're still way too young, so inexperienced. Like, we have applicants with twice the time. Fine. And I knew I had, like, one more shot at me where I was going to go back. This is it. Like, I'm, I'm out. I had 500 hours, like, on the nose. And I went into his office. It was, like, in the afternoon. Like, I'm drenched in sweat. I go in there, and um, I tell him, I say, hey, listen, um, you know, this is it. I have now invested all of my money into this. I am now at the bare minimum requirement to be hired under a charter company. Mm -hmm. Like that's what's required by law. Said I am at the bare minimum. I'm hireable. When can I start? What can I do? And then, you know, just as the 35 other times that uh, happened before, he basically told me, you know, keep building your time. We'll be in touch. And I knew what that meant. That was just like, that was it. So he kind of stood up to shake my hand and I don't remember what I said, but it was like a five or 10 minute speech. Look, motherfucker. Yeah. I mean, essentially, I, I, I poured my heart out into yeah. this guy and he kind of like chuckled, shook my hand. And uh, that was it. I started walking out to my car in the parking lot. Like my head was sunk, like defeated, man. I'm like, my God, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then uh, he texts me, he said, uh, hey, um, tomorrow why don't you come back to the hangar? I'm going to put you on a flight and um, our King Air. And a King Air is essentially a, um, instead of jet engines with turbo fans, they're propellers. So it's like a two jet engine airplane, technically. It's so bigger than a Cessna? Yeah. Oh yeah. Significantly. It's, <laughs> it's two engine. It seats, uh, it seats eight people and it can go, you know, it flies for like six hours, but it's like a, 
depending on which one you have. It's the ones they had were like three to five million dollars. So it's a multi-million dollar airplane. Right. And he said, uh, you know, we're going to put you on a flight in the right seat. Um, it's a single pilot airplane, so I wasn't really required to be there. And we'll see how you do. And after that, the rest is history. And that was really what sparked uh, my career. It was it was all thanks to that. So you've been doing that since you were 21? Um, I, I was 20. 20. So yeah. a couple of years. Mm-hmm. What's uh do you, now? Do you have to sign like like NDAs? Like you're not really allowed to talk about who your your cargo is. Uh, Can we I, call people cargo? Is that safe? People. Yeah, your people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah your your people cargo. Yeah. yeah. Um, not at this uh, at my previous company where I started. At my new one, yes. Um, but mm-hmm. the last one, no. Um, so had the pretty cool opportunity. I mean, we flew. Devin Booker, the Jenners, I flew Matthew McConaughey. That's um, cool. All sorts of like incredible people that I've like watched on TV, and I, I couldn't say I had a bad interaction with any of them. Um, they were all great folks, surprisingly so. Because that's when you find out, you know, behind yeah. everything, and you know, or, you know, how are, how do they talk to the people that are you know driving them or bellhop or flying them type of deal? Yeah, and and it's something. It's because. I think, uh, you know, the easier you make their life on them, you know, I'm not hounding them for stuff. And yeah. it's it's just really reading the room. Um, at the end of the day, you know, they could be on the phone with an assistant or doing whatever they want all day long, but they're going to listen to me when I give them a briefing. And I right. make it pretty abundantly clear. I'm like, hey, sir, ma'am, whoever. I don't even go that, that formal, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just need probably two minutes of your attention. Might save your life. Not planning anything happening, but this is kind of important. So... Once you kind of get them through that, and then I try to make them laugh with something. Mm-hmm. If they're receptive, if they're not, I leave them alone. Um, but for the most part, it's been it's been pretty good. Really enjoyed it. That's that's the cool thing about being in in corporate charter, is you know you meet everybody. That's cool. Do you ever have a bad interaction? You don't tell us who they are, but have you ever been like, oh, that person's a dick, or that person's a and some, uh, and, and to be fair, someone could be having a bad day, but then they could also just be an asshole. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some people um, that fly out you know, to Scottsdale quite a bit that are, you know, that are celebrities that, yeah, it's, um, you know, they have additional kind of demands, um, which kind of stretches the realm of what we do, which is okay. It's part of the job, but, um, you know, just kind of blowing people off that are giving a briefing. It really hasn't happened to me, but I've, you know, I've heard people that just won't listen to people stuffed in their phone, just kind of ignoring them or it's just, you know, it's, it's part of the job because at the end of the day, we're we're just a means to to get these. I mean, we're just we're an Uber, right? You, you are. Know, it's, yeah. it's just a glorified Uber. So you know, it's uh, it's part of the deal sometimes. And yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't um, I can't fault anybody because I don't know what's going on. I mean, oh, the last thing I want to be in my life is a, a true celebrity. That would be exhausting. I couldn't even imagine just hounded for pictures, everybody on you. I mean, it's just so I don't even want to begin to like um, make any kind of judgment. But you know, it happens. I mean, even with. Um, even not even just getting out of the celebrity realm, but even just business people or the the mega wealthy or people that just inherited all the money, you know, I mean, there's people everywhere. And I really wouldn't, you know, define a whole section of people or there's good and bad everywhere. I've, I've learned you would kind of think like celebrities are kind of worse, but they really aren't. They're, they're They're people. Yeah. They're people. They really are. And it's, it's been cool to, to see them just with, you know, outside of a camera, outside of an interview, just interact and be human beings. And it was like, man, this is uh, it's pretty refreshing. Yeah, it seems like, and I'm a significantly older than you. In fact, you're actually, shit, you're younger than both of my kids. 
God, I feel old now. Thank you, Mr. Keys. I'm sorry. But uh, I think that, and I, I think I experienced this at Monterey Car Week, that when you're just having a regular conversation with these people, they probably enjoy that way more than you. Even if it's somebody that you you adore, it's like they just want to have a regular conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it really is something, you know, because when you see like, like Devin Booker, all anybody in Phoenix, they're going to want to, he's like, you know, he's the face of our they basketball want something team. something from him. Yeah. Every, Photo, yes. autograph, something. Yes. And that's not to say I don't. Like, yeah. shoot, I'd love one too. 100%. But, yeah. But, yeah. you know, you, you, it's, you know, it's your job. Um, one of the coolest interactions I've ever had was with Shaq. And I wasn't even flying him. I, I don't think he fit in our airplane. Um, I was in a FBO. FBO is like a private jet terminal. Mm-hmm. And I was in um, San Francisco. It was after one of the Golden State, uh, I think it was after like game three. It was recently, this last uh, this last uh, championship. Okay. And I'm sitting there with um, my captain and we're waiting for our Uber. It's taking forever. It's like pouring rain and we're just kind of sitting tight. I'm like sprawled out on like this couch at the terminal because you live there as a right. pilot. It's, you know, you make it your own. And, um, you know, I see like six dudes kind of walk through the door. They're all like, you know, six, eight, six, nine. And we knew that the game just let out massive, massive guys. Like, you know, their their ball players are just in great shape, like whatever. There's somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Or bodyguards for somebody. Right. And uh, you know, they make, definitely make a presence. And uh sure enough, man, out like from the back of the group comes like Shaq. And like Holy shit. we look at each other Shaq. like you know, because I still get starstruck, man. Yeah, you know, it's probably all these people, but it's cool. Like I especially Shaq, like, I don't know. That's pretty cool to me. And uh, I'm sitting on like this couch facing one direction. And there's like a love seat right next to me. And he leaves his like his whole group of guys and he just sits right next to me. I just like look at him like, what's up, Shaq? And he just starts talking to me. He like dabs me up. <laughs> and then, yeah, no, it was it was like everything I hoped, like same voice, like he was funny. Like I talked to the guy for like, I don't know, it felt like forever, but it ended up being like 10 minute conversation with this dude. And he was so like nice and so genuine. He was asking me like, like just actually taking an interest, like, okay, what do you fly? Like, how long you been doing it? Like what, like, it was so like pure. It was, it was right. really cool, but it's, it, it really goes to show exactly what you're saying is like just having a normal conversation. It, it makes all the difference. And that for me was the hardest one not to be like, dude, can we please take a picture? I just talked right. to you. For 10 no minutes, one's ever going to believe me on this one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I had to like leave there thinking like, you know what? I did the right thing, but dang, I regret it. But it was, you know, it was cool. but you know. Right. And it, and it's, you know, I've heard, I mean, Shaq, I, I, I've heard he's like just a tremendous, a tremendous person. And you know how cool that is because he's so, he's so big to the game, large yeah. in life. And he could be a complete get off me, but that goes in right in line with the things I've heard. My brother-in-law about two years ago, he had like a 45 minute conversation with DMX in the airport. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, he took a selfie with him, but, uh, you know, it's just, and he loved it. And so, you know, when DMX passed, like, I've never really been a big DMX fan. Like, I don't dislike him. I just never really gravitated to, you yeah. know, more than two of his like, big songs. But that, just that conversation you had with Shaq's going to, like, mean you're never going to forget it. Yeah. You know? And so that's, sometimes that's even worth a lot more than just a photo. Yeah, Actually, I it agree. is worth a lot more than a photo, but yeah. it would be cool to have a photo anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's there's something to be said about that. I mean, just actually make, like, that's kind of like the problem with, like, the social media world. And I'm, like, such, like, a am I mean, such a hypocrite with that. Like, look at my stuff on my Instagram. It's just so, it's just a highlight reel. But um, it just shows you, like, how, 
program we are like, okay, let me just get this thing from this person. Like, you know, throughout the history, it was, it's always been autographs. And now like with my generation, it's like pictures or yep. a cameo or yeah. a video. It's like some kind of like, look, I'm seen with this person. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm trying to remove it from my brain, but it's, I don't think it'll happen because it's just, it's how we are now. It's how we are. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think you're, you're totally right. It's, uh, it's wise just to like, look at it like, man, I just made a, a cool interaction cooler because I didn't ask for that. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it teaches you a lot with that stuff. It really does, especially flying all these people that, you know, I, I look at or I, I watch on TV and stuff. So it's, it's, it's been really cool. No, that's super special. Um, race car driving. You said you learned to, uh, so it sounds like you did that, you know, significantly, you know, at least before, um, what you're doing now. Yeah. You know, talk about that. Cause I think last time you were here, you were kind of like, you know, you were, let's talk about, let's talk about it. Did you race, like drive Miatas or something? Like what, tell, tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit. Yeah. So, um, that's kind of where I got the, the cockroach mentality, mm-hmm. um, my family took great care of me. They helped me a lot through school, but they weren't going to put a dime in a motorsport, which I understood. It's just, you know, for anybody that doesn't know, anybody that races on a professional level either had a one in a million offer with a super wealthy individual or they are the wealthy individual or they come from a family of wealthy individuals. Mm-hmm. Like, It's very expensive. Oh, yeah. Yep. And really, it's it's weird how little people know that that are into any kind of motorsport. It's like this is just so unattainable it's like yes they're fantastic they're athletes whatever but it, it, it's so like unreachable and i i didn't know that going in i my uh my uncle raced formula ford in europe he's from england so that's what kind of got me into it and you know he steered me along the path of karting because it was like the best way to start i started when i was like 14 and um my parents like i said they they just didn't want to go into it all. So what he told me, my uncle gave me the advice and he said, well, why don't you go to like a, uh, an event or a track day or whatever they call it in karting. Like it was like a race. It was like mm-hmm. a race weekend. Mm-hmm. And, um, PKRA over in, um, it's by wet and wild in Peoria. If you're familiar. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's like a good spot in Arizona for, uh, for everybody coming in to want to try anything in racing. And I went there, you know, watched a little bit, I was there by myself too. I just started kind of like talking along with like kids my own age doing it or younger. Primarily it was, it was How younger. How old were you at the time? I was like 14. Okay. Yeah. So for karting, I mean, shoot the, some people that at that age were driving like formula three cars. So I'm, I'm, I'm older, but it's, it's all new. And, uh, there was this guy there that had a, like a ride and drive program. And he had like a big trailer with like 10 go karts that were double stacked and, what he would do is he, it was a rev and drive. So he would manage their go-karts or they were owned by his clients, customers, whatever, that the kids are eight to 18 years old. So mm-hmm. they're, they're kids. Mm-hmm. But he would manage their go-karts, mechan them, their mechanic them, get them out, get them right, change the tires, do driver coaching too. So he had to have some kind of background. He had a big poster explaining all this and I watched it. And uh, that was a service he did. So I went over to him. I told him like, hey, you know, this is... You know, you, it, it's embarrassing looking back on it, but it's like, I don't really know how else you can explain yourself. I'm like, hey, I really want to do this. Right. What can I do? Like, <laughs> right. can I, do you, could you use somebody working as like an in, quote unquote intern working for free? Like I'll, you know, I'll clean your trailer. I'll help you. I, I don't, I really don't know what I'm doing, but I'll help you with whatever you need um, in exchange like for some seat time. 
and he was really cool. He was like, uh, man, he wasn't that old either. He was like 23. Kind of looked at me and thought about it. He's like, like I was like kind of dressed up a little bit. He's like, here, I'll, I'll do, I'll make you a deal. He's like, um, we end at like whatever time on tomorrow. You clean this trailer for me today. You come back tomorrow. Help me put all the go karts away. I'll leave one out and we'll we'll see what what happens. Oh, that's cool. And I said, okay. So I, I mean, I'm like in like jeans and like a nice from 14, but right. still. For me, it was, it was dressed up a little bit. Well, you're told to be if you make sure if you're gonna, you know, solicit anyone, you're presentable <laughs> and <laughs> professional and stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I get it. And uh, I spent like I don't I don't even know. It was like the it was till it got dark, and I was there at noon, like all day cleaning this guy's. Like I was covered in like head to toe, I was completely black from dirt. Um, yeah, and I did whatever I could. He looked at everything. He gave me a race suit that he like just one that he loaned out to people. He was like, "It's yours. Come back tomorrow." And I came back, and he let me just uh, go out there with one of, I forgot what it was. It was like a some two-stroke Rotax, but it wasn't, um, you didn't shift the gear. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, from, man, it's been a long time. But uh <laughs> started out one of those, and for yeah. me, that was like a rocket ship, because all I ever did was indoor karting. Mm-hmm. And he put me on like super, like borderline corded, like tire. They're super old. And um, kind of watched me for a while. I spun a couple times. Like I was, I couldn't get any grip. Um, he kind of liked what he saw and he's like, uh, yeah, we can, we can make something work with us. And it turns out that guy was a, a Bondron instructor and oh, I didn't no know kidding. That. Yeah. And ended up working where I would do exactly what I did. And then when he got off work at Bondurant, I would go at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night when they used to have their go-karting school and I would go drive the go-kart track. And that's how I got trained to do on uh, That's where I started on that. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's super cool. So, what, I mean, where did you go from there? So he, um, I don't know if, if he left first or Bondron got rid of their school, their karting school, but that was kind of the beginning, and he was going to go move to Colorado. So I knew, you know, my, my golden ticket was kind of going away. And at the time, now I'm like 16 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm working at like a, a, a golf course cleaning golf clubs and golf carts, whatever. So Doing 16-year-old kind of, jobs, yeah, side jobs. job shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was working four hours a week though after high yeah. school and then doing this on top of it, but, you know, trying to make some kind of money. And I knew I wanted to get into cars just because as great as he was to me, go-karts, while they're a way better tool, and I think they teach you better and the sensation of speed's a lot better, they just aren't cool to sponsors, really, for a lot right, of people. Right. It's so hard to, like, go to Buddy's Pizza Shop across the street and be like, hey, I drive this go-kart and do this. And they're like, as opposed to like, I have this sports car. You can look at it. I'll drive mm-hmm. it right to you. Here's a roll cage. Here's all this cool stuff that it like, for me, that, that's just kind of what I came to realize. So I scouring on Craigslist, scouring Craigslist, and I found this Mazda Miata because the new spec Miata was kind of what I wanted to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a Mazda Miata with essentially it was like a roll cage, like a proper cage on stock suspension, a stock motor that hasn't even been bored out or touched all that, but it was a running Miata that, you know, it worked. Brake started, stopped, and it had a roll cage. And um, I forgot what he had it up for, but he was from Anthem. He kind of bought it as like a toy. It was a, an older guy, really nice guy. And he sold it to me for, I think, like 3000 bucks. which now, like, good luck. Right. There's, yeah, there's totally. none of those that exist. Yeah. And... Um, I went to Pro Autosports, if you're familiar. Mm, I'm not. They're, uh, it's like one of two club racing okay. people out here. And so now I have this car. 
I still don't have money to go wheels, tires, all the other stuff you have to do to go race. I didn't have money for any of that. So what I did, so I went to the people at Pro Sports. I said, hey, this is kind of the predicament I'm in. Could you use me as like a corner worker? What can I do to volunteer? Like you need to put wristbands on people. Like what, what can I do? And they used me as like a, like a wristband guy, sign the waiver guy. In exchange, like I'd work one day, get a track day for free. So I worked like, man, I don't even know. Um, There's this theme with you. If you want something, you're willing to go out and get it and you're willing to work for it. Yeah. There's a lot. Look, man, I'm, I'm not trying to sound like an old man here. Dude, you're 22. There's a lot of people within, you know, a five-year grace period of your age. You just don't want to have anything to do with anything. Just give it to me. If I can't have it, fuck off. Yeah. It's just, it was, uh, I just wanted it, you know, and yeah. I knew there was no other way. So what other, what other thing can I do besides like doing absolutely everything to make it work? You could have been a petulant child and complain about it and quit. That's true. <laughs> but then I wouldn't have been driving a race car. That's right. So it was. And that tenacity no kind of led you to, you know, a couple of years later starting to fly. Yeah. So it, like I said, it really, it really translated well. Yeah. I was fortunate enough that that taught me a lot about life. And um, I mean, shoot, even that, that the racing I think was like paramount to any success I have along down the line. I'm still learning every day about how to interact with people, how to, how to network, how not to be weird, how to like, you know, just kind of grow up. So I'm, I'm still always learning, but that essentially got me a bunch of free track days and I didn't have like a, a tent or anything to, I, it was just me like sitting there with a lawn chair and I put like my jack in the trunk and like those Miatas can hold quite a bit. You'd be surprised. <laughs> but I was like, it was very much like it was laughable because I didn't have all the stuff that these other people did. And um, there was like this one group of people I'd always see there. Like they went to every event and he had like this massive trailer, but it casted a pretty good like uh, width of shade. Just, you know, yeah. unintentional. And I'm like, hey, can I just like steal your shade and you know, pit right next to you for this weekend. He's like, yeah, of course. He's like, why don't you come in? Like he introduced me to everybody. And then that became a group. And now from them, I met other people and other sure. people. And it just, it went to a, you know, me not knowing anybody to a, like a network of people. Like now if I, it's been a little bit since I've done club racing stuff, but you know, I, I, I know a lot of people just because right. I was like that kid that just never went away. And what I would do is I got, um, so I started out in pro, pro auto sports. The first season I raced, I did like in a GTU class because my car, they didn't have a spec. They don't have spec me out of there. Um, so I essentially, I was racing against like um, Volkswagen rabbits, like that are, they're all race cars or, um, man, I'm trying to think what, they're essentially like 200 horsepower, front wheel drive, rear right. wheel drive cars, max 200, just super light. And then I was in like this other like sub section class because of how my car was. And I went to almost every event I could I couldn't make all of them because I just, I couldn't afford it. And I finished like second in that championship. And um, then I went over to NASA who actually has a spec Miata series. And now I'm like 17, essentially offered to do the same thing. And the process, you know, continued. So just signing people in and all that good stuff. And then, you know, the combination of these two things, led into me getting into driving instructing. So I was with Pro Auto Sports instead of signing people in, I was now teaching people how to drive their whatever. Oh, so that was, nice. yeah, that was, that was the cool part. So instead of having to sit there at the gate, I could actually go teach people how to drive. So Pro Auto Sports at 17, I was the youngest instructor they've had. And then NASA at uh, 18, I was the youngest in AZ. And that it was just lucky, man. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. 
Do you ever get any seat time now? I mean, where are you with that? Because I know you got your BMW that you had to turn around and sell. Yeah. Um, when I started flying, like really flying for, for a job, it, it all went away. Right. Which really sucks. Uh, but what essentially I was doing at uh, with instructing when I first got in is sometimes like guys would put me in like their actual race cars. Like I got really in like the BMW crowd. Mm -hmm. So I would drive like my car that I'd always get in was an E46 M3, but the guy had like an, an insane amount of money into the thing. I mean, it was like a $70,000 race car. Mm -hmm. And he would go in, set a lap. I would go in and set a, like it ended up being a faster lap. And he's like, okay, why did, why did you do this? Why do that? So I started doing like more individual coaching just kind of on accident. And then I started getting seat time in these race cars. And now they're going to do like endurance racing. Like, hey, mm -hmm. we need another guy. We'll drive you out there, do everything for free. You don't pay a dime. And it was that kind of like networking that got me um, now racing BMWs. I raced um, Porsche GT4s um, just for free, just because I was coaching the people that actually own these cars. So that was at the height of my seat time. Uh, now, like, same with NASA. I had to be 18. Like that's the the legal limit that they have there for their insurance. But um, just instructing, and then I started doing like private instruction where they'd rent the track, and I'd go out. Um, essentially, like undivided attention. I had my own layout with these people, and how I'd you know, I I catered a a, a training schedule to their needs because some people are either super bold or some people are super conservative, and you got to kind of find sure push or bring them back right. i'd i'd want to go with a conservative guy or gal all day long because the bold person could kill you right but it's you know it's kind of setting up a, a curriculum for them and these people you know they're obviously super wealthy which has got me you know it translates to aviation aviation all these things do and you know just kind of knowing how to interact with people and you know there's some times where i'm kind of being hard on this millionaire that's paying me out there but i'm like you know, I'm trying to make him, him or her better and it's, it, it works. So it's, you know, learning how to interact with people and how much you really can push with the personality. And it led to a lot of pretty cool opportunities. So that was um, when I was racing the most. And like I said, when I started flying, that was, that was it. I haven't had time. Yeah. Yet. And I think even back to your flying, you were telling me, um, you know, setting this session up that it, you, you don't even know till you know, days before, right? It makes it harder to schedule stuff. You can't schedule track time yeah. next Tuesday because you could be flying somewhere. Right? Yeah, so that was at um, my old spot, the place that, that gave me my great opportunity. That was kind of how they ran things. Mm -hmm. Like if we were here today talking, I'd have to have my, my ringer on and my phone on. And um, if they call, I got to go. So it was like you're on call 24-7, which for me, as incredible as an opportunity that was, like they, they got me in a jet. Yeah. Um, I had to kind of, you know, I have a, long-term girlfriend I live with. I have a family of friends. Like I'm just, you know, I, I had to kind of make the decision to take a step back from that and, and find a, an opportunity that enabled me to have a schedule and, you know, a lot more time around. So hopefully getting back into it soon. I don't know. It, it sounds like a cool opportunity, but it sounds very, um, very scattered though too. So, you know, where do you, so where do you go from here? Uh, as far as flying? As far as flying. Yeah. So they're going to, um, I have to go back to school. So there's like recurrent training when you start flying jets or things that require, it's called a type rating. So essentially when you go to fly, you know, this private jet, somebody hires you on, Hey, I got this airplane. You got to go fly it. Okay. I got to go to school for a month to go learn how to fly this airplane and get certified on it. Um, and then every year you have to go for recurrent training. I'm now timing out to where I have to get my year recurrent, but mm -hmm. they're going to upgrade me to a captain type rating. So now I'm going to be a captain on this, this Learjet. 
as opposed to a first officer always in the right seat. So that's that's pretty exciting. Um, something I've really been looking forward to doing, just being in charge of this private jet. And then from there, I, I want to go bigger. Just something that'll cross the Atlantic, cross you know, cross the world, and and travel a little bit more, find something a lot bigger. That's that's the end goal right now. So I was going to ask earlier, and I can ask it again because you kind of helped me bring it bring it back. But like, where are are you just Southwest right now? Not not airlines, obviously, but regional speaking. No, no. Um, we're, we're even for go. both, all around the country. Okay, and we'll go as like as far as out of the country. Cabo lot, it's really popular, um, especially from Scottsdale. And then um, Vancouver is the only time I've been in Canada, but I've been to Vancouver quite a few times. But that it, essentially all across the country. The, the our Lear will cross. Um, it'll do coast to coast, so it's got the range for it. But as far as actually making the leap over the pond, not yet. You'd be making so many stops. It just it's just a dumb airplane for it. You'd be paying way more on fuel and landing fees and all this other nonsense than as opposed to renting a real Gulfstream that'll go the distance. What's been your least favorite place to to fly to? Like there was that one time you flew to Truth and Consequences, New Mexico, and (laughs) you fucking hated it. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of Albuquerque, like at all. I've had uh, quite a few nights there. I didn't really know. I kind of thought it was an error. Like, you know, it, it was the cool part about the plane is it lets you see the country, but I didn't, yeah, it's uh, not a place I would want to go back to at all. Um, and then aside from that, the rough overnights is when you go to like the Midwest when it's flat as can be. And then the, the town that you're going to be sleeping in is like a population of like 4,000. Mm. So you go to like this super tiny little hotel, this little log cabin thing they have, which is, it's fun to kind of get away and all that, but it's tough to explore and, and kind of make the most of your job when there's really nothing around. So for me, those are like the worst overnights by far. Favorite destination so far? It's, I'd, I would. It's a toss up. Yeah. It's okay. You can list them. It's, it's more like places that have cool things. Right. Um, place I normally overnight the most is Seattle and I've really come Seattle's to like cool. it. It is. It's a cool place. Um, gone to Monterey quite a bit. Pretty cool. Nashville and New Orleans, I think, are so much fun. Um, man, it, it's it's Aspen's cool. It's tough. I mean, it's even Chicago, where I'm from originally, like that. It's it's wherever stuff is for me. It's like I don't I don't so much pick a favorite, but for me, it's like a breath of fresh air to actually be able to do something. But at this old place where I was working, for the most part, is we get in at like 8 p.m. and we're exhausted because I just did like six other legs. I went all across the country. I ended up in like Chicago, right? And then my departure the next morning is at 6 a.m. Yeah. So Oof. I didn't have any time to look at anything. It's like straight to the hotel, dinner, if you even have time for that. And then the next morning, all over again. So what, hold on. What kind of dietary restrictions do you have? Because you probably have to be like on it. Like you, I mean, I'm, not to get anyone in trouble. I'm just curious just thinking about it. Cause if I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go to the hotel, have a glass of wine, have a salmon or whatever. And then because I gotta get up, but you probably can't do that. Can you? Well, so as far as alcohol, it's eight hours. Okay, it's not like, too bad at all. No, no. It's like definitely. Yeah, unless you're drinking at 2 a.m. Right. But pilots, for the most part, all the time have a beer at dinner. Yeah. I mean, I've. It was uh, the amount of guys and gals I've flown with, they mm. all have a beer at dinner. They all do. Um, but obviously, it's 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 kind of a big deal. You had a lot of people live in your hands. And I've never been with anybody that has like more than one or drinks an excessive right, amount. Like right. it's because you're. It's a it's a tough thing morally. You wouldn't you wouldn't ever want to put somebody in jeopardy. And there's also laws against that. So right. Um, as far as that, yeah. But as far as like a nice like 
an opulent dinner or something, you know, nice to go eat. Like what thing is open at nine, nine o'clock at night I was gonna in say, Wyoming? It depends on when you land. Right. hundred percent so, where you land and when you have to go. So you're kind of limited to whatever Taco Bell or Burger King or McDonald's like best options are that night. Those are like the grinding time of, of, of charter. That's why, you know, they'll hire low time guys because it, it doesn't really hold on to guys a long time. People that want to make it a career. They don't really want to be, you know, every last morsel of food, like I, the amount of chips and pretzels and stuff in our airplane that I've just gone through because I haven't <laughs> eaten all day. You can't stop, you know, it's no. like, Oh, just one more bag. But the worst part is, um, is not drinking water. Mm, mm-hmm. Like it, it's like an unhealthy amount because we can do like, like I said, f- like four or four and a half hours, but across the country. The problem is, is the cabin height of our, of my airplane is five foot two or five, four. And I'm six, five. So it is a very uncomfortable walk from the cockpit. I got to get out of this tight cockpit, walk my big butt all the way down the aisle and go use this lab that does not mm-hmm. fit me. And you don't want to do that with passengers there because it's like, it's it, it just an uncomfortable thing. Right, like, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I never really felt comfortable doing it. When you got to go, you got to go. But what that kind of, you know, translates sense to is like, you know, I'm not going to drink any water at all you have to de- dehydrate yourself a ton because you don't want to be making those trips. So it creates like this super unhealthy, like mm-hmm. you're done on an overnight, not to be too graphic, but your pee is like brown. And you're right. like, this mm-hmm. is not, <laughs> Yeah, this that's not good. Something is not right here. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's tough. So the diet is the worst part. And that's why a lot of these, a lot of pilots like get super overweight, like their bellies are overlapping their like harnesses. Truck drivers. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, what are you going to do when you're up there? Okay, there's this huge bag of chips, like the snack bag that we have in the airplane. It's like, I'm just going to munch on that because I can't eat anything else. So it's, it's sometimes it comes with the territory, but there's, you know, the amount of like, quote unquote, like pilot influencers that have like tons of followers that are super cut. Like they maintain like that insane work ethic of eating super healthy and then going to use whatever crappy hotel gym they're, they're at. to like the most of, of, you know, the fullest extent they can. So it, it's tough in that respect for sure. So what you guys heard is Mike Keyes is a 6'5 guy who was killing it in a Mazda Miata. <laughs> That's what I heard. Seat was bolted to the floor. Yeah. That's the only way. That's insane. So what do you, what do you order? What does Mike Keyes order at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night when he's hungry? In all, every, just imagine every fast food place is open, but only them. Well, if salad and goes open, that's the first choice. I don't even know what salad and go is. They're sprouting everywhere. Are they? Yeah, it's like dirt cheap salad wraps or Caesar salads and stuff. So that's first choice. Um, all DoorDash stuff in the air, like we have Wi-Fi on the plane. So if we landed at like an FBO for an hour, I'll get like acai bowls or smoothies sent over. But for these overnights that I'm primarily on, I got a Taco Bell and mm-hmm. then get a bunch of stuff and feel bad about myself the next day. Like the beefy five layer burrito, the chicken quesadilla, um, the burrito supreme. And then it's like whatever I can to like not eat throughout the day to burn off that, <laughs> those calories I just put on and then gym. And then it's, it's not great. Sounds, it sounds difficult. Well, I mean, yeah. you look great right now, but you're also young, <laughs> yeah. um, but you're going to have to figure something out. Yes. Uh, my keys. How can we get a hold of you? Uh, how can we how can we uh, follow you and support watching your Instagram so you get paid a little bit of money? That's probably the best way is uh, is DMs. I try to get back to as many as I can. Um, yeah, they're probably Mike H Keys on Instagram. That's that's the best way to reach out. And yeah, it's uh, I couldn't think of a better way. Is that all you're on Instagram? Do you do the Facebook? Do, uh, hey, are you a TikToker? No, 
Oh. It seems like, you know, your look, what you do, that all seems like it's very good for, and I call it the Tiki Talk machine on purpose, just to sound like an old person. What are your thoughts on TikTok? I hate it, but. Well, I do reels because they're not as saturated. That's how I got to build my following is from reels. So I kind of do TikTok, but, but yeah. I don't like TikTok. I don't. I don't have it. I my girlfriend's obsessed with that, and a lot of my friends are too, and especially the pilot guys too. They they're always. Is on it kind it. of like a turn off when everyone's obsessed with something that you don't? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, it's like that. That it conditions people like, okay, thirty seconds. I have to love what I see, or I swipe up. Like I, I go on YouTube all the time. That's like my my release and stuff. I, I can watch like a twenty minute video if it's something that's interesting, but that kind of. 30 second, 30 second, I don't like the dancing. And then for me, the thing that drives me nuts is the same sounds that are trending. So I'll, <laughs> I'll hear her phone like from like across the room and it's the same song and she's watching 20 different videos. I'm yeah. like, my God, I, I like that song like before I heard this and now I can't stand it. That is That to me is like, it's unbearable. I, I can't deal with the TikTok stuff. What's worse, that or the TikTok voice? TikTok voice. What do you mean? The, the, the woman voice. Oh, my. Yeah. This is like what my Siri? friend said. Da, yes. da, da. Yeah. And corporations do that, too. Yeah. Like, massive, like, car companies, aircraft, like, uh, I mean, huge corporations that should not be messing around with this stuff. They stoop to that low level, and they make, like, this garbage content. I'm like, my God. You know, um, you know, I my wife loves TikTok. Obviously, Wes Tankersley, who listens to this, he's, he's grown. He's found TikTok to be more more successful for his brand than an Instagram. And I guess it's just, you know, find whatever social media outlet works best oh, yeah. for you. But I just, yeah, I just, I, I just, I don't know. I just can't go over there. I just it, can't. It's saturated though, too. I mean, I've, I've given it a go when I, like, I was so late to it mm -hmm. and I was just kind of recycling what I had from Instagram, but they don't keep the audio. So I just found like whatever was happening and nowhere near the same results. And honestly, like, Full disclosure, if it took off, I probably would keep would be doing it, it yeah. because why not? Sure. Um, I I did kind of run into this is the the issue with the Instagram stuff and not putting watermarks in your stuff. Like, first off, you should put a watermark on it, but nobody's gonna like when it's in your face like that, people seem to care less, I've learned. No, it's you're you know you know, you're right. Statistically you're right. Anytime there's actually words or something on what you're doing on Instagram, it just it bombs. Yeah. So I've had a few videos taken from my my account and other accounts will do it without permission. It's happened on Instagram a few times. Mm. Instagram's pretty good about taking it down right away. So that part I've really appreciated. But um, TikTok, I've had tons of people do it's it. Wild West. Yeah. So what I did got like, I don't know, 30,000 views. And their video of my exact video got 500,000. It's like, right. oh. It's like, oh, I could use that 500,000 Yeah. Right now. Like, why did your algorithm choose you? Like, why? Yeah. <sighs> it. it it's that part's kind of annoying, and I know how like superficial it sounds, but I wanted the free stuff from Instagram. That's sure. all. I, that's all hey. I wanted to partner with people. I wanted to. It 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 sucks though. It that to me is like the most infuriating thing because like I I was there. I took the video. I took the time to put my stupid little edit on it, and then all you do is screen record it and put it up on your own, and then you get all and you know I have people sending me the video like oh yeah you sent it to them and they blew up and then you post it yourself like no. They took it to me like they took it from my account two months after I posted it. Right. So it's tough. And TikTok's been like a huge like proponent of that. And I've just kind of resorted to like, hey, can you like please take it down? Like it's you know, I didn't have my permission from it. I don't it's such a headache too to go into that, but I keep kind of fighting it because 
it's the principle. But there's going to come a point where I just give up because it's it's just it happens a lot. Yeah, and it's a couple things with that. So you know, talking about swiping so fast, you know, and and I realize this. You know, we watch our grandson, and everyone does this thing where you know, if I have a kid, I'm not going to give him an iPad, da da da. But all the other kids have it, and it yeah. gets them to shut up quicker. But he'll want to watch something, and he's on like uh, kids YouTube or whatever it's called, and he's watching a video, and like five six seconds of the video, he touches a different video and i'm like dude i thought you liked this and he just yeah. keeps bouncing from video to video and for someone like me it drives me crazy it's like you haven't even got to the good part yet like what are you doing right and it's just that's just the way things are going just flip 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 and so. it's programming and that like that's a like yeah. that's normal but like the real world's kind of mundane yeah and it's like i can't you got to find some other joy some other way it's uh it's kind of scary in that respect, but Vine was the same way, though. I remember Vine, yeah. But Vine didn't get as much hate. Yeah. So how does that make sense? Vine is six seconds, too. It's uh, it's just, it's 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 about timing. You know, they always say that, you know, Paris Hilton was the Kardashians before the Kardashians. Yeah. You know, she peaked too early. I mean, I'm, I'm sure she's not upset about it. She's probably still worth billions of dollars, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's, there's something about that, you know. I mean, Vines, like, are looked back at, like, nostalgia and like oh this is like the best time of like social media this was all great but that's the same kind of conditioning and nobody was talking about it then or at least that i i remember it's it's so weird it's it's yeah, it you, really know peaks who, early. you know who millie vanilli is yeah the lip syncers yeah, yeah. you've seen the like the memes lately it's like lip you know they're they're up everything they got in trouble for then people are like making you know just killing it on uh on tiktok for yeah that was a that was a big deal right yeah that was yeah, yeah. I kind of slaughtered that, but you got it, and hopefully the listeners did too. It's just the irony, you know, kind of looking back. Mike Keys, man, uh, thank you for coming into the studios. We'll have to do this again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Of course. Really enjoyed it. I want to thank Mike for joining, coming in studio and joining. If you want to follow him on social media, that is Mike H. Keys, all ran together on Instagram. I think he said the same thing on TikTok. I wouldn't know. I don't have it. But, um, Good dude. I gave him an open invitation. He has an open invitation to come to the studio whenever he likes. We got to get back to the Q&A segment. I feel like I haven't done Q&A in a while. We just do it every episode. Tell me what you want. Podcast at gmail.com. I'm not asking you for ideas. Make no mistake. But I do love that people slide me articles from time to time. I just need to bring them up. So maybe in the car news. Got a few things that uh, I've been sent. But it's time to wrap this up. I want to thank Right Honda and Right Toyota, Scott Arizona, fourwheelonline.com, Sellstrap Wireless Services, Westgate Exotic Cars and Rentals, Patreon Business Supporters, Kuyai Mova out of Winter Garden, Florida, Pell Construction of Caledonia, Michigan, and the Big House Small Home Design out of Ashburn, Virginia, and Traverse City, Michigan. If you're interested in helping the podcast upgrade, why would you not? Join the Patreon for as little as $3 a month to get access to bonus audio as well as show swag. Things like updates with my car. Things like family life. You want to know what I really think about something? You get it on the Patreon. Thanks, Mark Stoneman, Captain Cox, Eddie Ramos, Richard Grace, Byron Jones, Bojong, Alice Camina, Andrew Bunkley. If you're interested in picking up a Hard Parking Podcast shirt, I still have them. Email the show, hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram, jfinning. That's J-H-A-E-P-F-E-N-N-I-N-G. Did I spell that right? E-F-E-N-N-I-N-G. Ah, I did. Hard Parking Violations Facebook group. I can't grow without you telling the world how great the show is. Let's do this. Let's grow this thing together, and I'll talk to you all next week. Izzy, take us home. Shut up!
now it's stripping time. <laughs>